newly ordained monk living in a in a in a society I didn't understand very well, having to learn a language, another language, and live in a tropical climate and adjust to the diet and the things that existed then. But Lungpo Cho's emphasis was always in the very basic teaching was to be aware of what you're thinking, to observe either who told the witness to the states of mind. So even then, with, before I could actually understand his his uh, formal sermons, Dhamma talks, his days and hands, uh, before I could actually feel comfortable in listening to, to him speak, his basic teaching was to develop this sati sampatanya, mindfulness, intuitive awareness, be aware of what arises ceases. And so this is this is a real practical, really practical uh, advice because we all have to deal with uh, physical conditions we experience into our body, with our emotional habits, uh, with our uh, memories of the past, our fears, worries, problems about the future. This is about being a human being and identifying completely with the mortal conditions that we're experiencing here and now. For example, we all have human bodies at each an individual form sitting here in this hour. And so we identify strongly with our separateness, with our differences. And of course this is cultural conditioning, it's uh, the ego operating, the sense of a separate self as we create uh, ourselves as a personality, as a separate person from the rest. And through this, these kind of delusions of the ego, the cultural conditioning, social conditioning that we've all acquired, we are attached, we bind ourselves to the reality of suffering or dukkha in Pali, Pali word for suffering. So even in the midst of affluence and political stability and the best that the worldly dhammas can offer, we still have this problem of suffering, which the Buddha addressed in his first sermon. After his enlightenment, he is one of his thoughts came to me, how can you teach? How can you express Dhamma? And this word Dhamma is a Pali Sanskrit word that you can't define. The best you can call it is, in English is ultimate reality or just plain reality. Ultimate reality makes it sound very high up where reality is what we're experiencing right now, where this is the reality of this moment is like this. How can you teach such a, teach or use language to teach others uh, to reflect on their state of mind, on their bodies as they, as they exist in the present moment? Usually our lives are based on 
doing something now to get some reward in the future. So we live in the present moment to either be going someplace, to be doing something, to be, even if we're meditating, we're meditating to, to uh, get some good results in the future. We also have to deal with the past, the memories that we have of our, what we've said and done in the past. Some were pleasant, some unpleasant, we feel guilty, remorse, or things we've said or done that we regret, that arises in the present. The future is, is full of potential, ones of aging, getting old, being, reaching 85, having uh, physical disabilities and so forth. Old age sickness death is what awaits us all in the future. But here and now is where Dhamma, Dhamma is here and now, it's not something high up and remote or abstract. And so the Buddha emphasized the importance of awareness, mindfulness. And this word, of course, now is being used a lot in, in uh, the internet and in YouTube and various uh, modern high-tech sources and the interest in mindfulness has noticeably increased over the past 20 years. And this is a good sign because even though so much emphasis is based on how to improve yourself, how to become a better person or a more charming personality or how to stay young or how to make money, the, the whole emphasis of Buddhist teaching was on mindfulness which is here and now. It's not, you don't become mindful in the future. You're mindful here and now. And so the first noble truth that the Buddha taught, this was the genius of the Lord Buddha, was to take this common human experience that we all can recognize, ordinary suffering, worry, anxiety, whatever it might be, guilt, remorse, about the past, whatever form it takes, physically, mentally, emotionally, we can be aware of it. And the, and the Buddha put this in a, in a category that's quite interesting because they call it a noble truth. A noble truth, not ultimate truth. So it's not a kind of metaphysical statement, it's, it's a noble truth. And what's noble about it is when we start observing it in ourselves, not just blaming others for our suffering or, or trying to get rid of it, but understanding it. So the Buddha's practice is, about ba is based on this understanding of, the, of our fears, of our anxieties, worries, our guilt, remorse, or resentment, anger, greed, jealousy, all these emotions that we strongly identify with, we're aware of. And so this is a difference, being aware of what you're feeling rather than just reacting to what you're feeling. Usually with suffering we, we, we react to it, we don't want it, nobody wants to suffer, want to get rid of it. Uh, if we can't get rid of it, then we blame the weather or other people or the society. But it's not about 
seeking a cause for suffering outside, like the, due to uh, something of the past. But recognizing suffering is like this, this sense of a separateness, of being a separate personality, of being the age you are, of being the gender you are, of being the, the of what you look like, your appearance. We're so attached to our appearance. The modern life in countries like Canada fraught with this kind of suffering of how to wanting to look good, not wanting to get old, not wanting to have this disabilities or diseases. So suffering as here and now is a noble truth rather than something that is destroying our lives or seeing it in highly personal ways as my suffering. It's not personal. It is what it is. It's a condition that arises and ceases in us all. And the Buddha is the one that points to this this reality is not ultimate reality, it's what we can easily recognize here and now in our own conscious experience. And to see that the causes of this suffering are ignorance of Dhamma, not being mindful, not understanding the Four Noble Truths, not having investigated your own life, understood what you really are, you tend to create this suffering through desires for sensory pleasures, through desires for becoming, being something better, getting something you don't have in the present, and the desire to get rid of things you have now that you don't want. So the second noble truth is through understanding desire, we let go of it. We begin, the Buddha advised us, say, no, observe the suffering you create through this, this habitual ignorant attachment to suffering, to the sense of the separate self, to the body, to the emotions that you experience, to the memories that you have. The Buddha made it very easy for us in the, because he, he taught Toward, you know, ultimately it's a very simple teaching. Buddhism is often manifests in modern life, seems very complicated. When you look at the Tripitaka, the, the scriptures, the Buddhist scriptures, the Abhidhamma, it looks so vast and so complicated that um, some people feel it, you know, it, it's just an intellectual exercise, or it's just a matter of belief and faith in what the scriptures say. So someone like Umhatra simplified everything down to this, this reflection on the Four Noble Truths, which is the first sermon of the Buddha after his enlightenment. To be investigated, to be realized individually, So, my experience living with him, but I lived either with him at Wat Papong, the name of his monastery in Ubon, or some, he would send me off to branch monasteries. But during the ten years 
that I lived in Thailand uh, with Lumpur Chara, I learned, you know, I had these insights into the into these noble truths through just observing, being aware of suffering and its causes, the desires, the three kinds of desires that we attach to, that we identify with, that bind us to the fear of death, to, to all the human forms of anguish and despair and suffering that we tend to experience by understanding, by investigating and letting go of these desires, then you have what is known as insight. In 1977, I went to, I was invited to the UK, to England, to London, and with the Numpacha and, and I went to London in 1977, in May of 1977. And uh, he investigated the possibilities of setting up a, some kind of branch monastery in, in the UK. There seemed to be enough interest and enough support available in that, in the UK at that time. And so, I went out to Andrea Demo, also came with us later. So he's one of the original monks that helped establish this, the monastic Sangha in England. And uh, so we've been together for many years since Wat uh, home and in the UK. And now he's established a branch monastery here in Canada. And so this is, see that this is not just some kind of cult, religious cult, uh, just trying to survive and, and convert people in Canada to Buddhism. This is not our purpose. It's not about uh, converting people or making people change their religions, but offering occasion for meditation, for understanding of Dhamma, for the, the, the state of our humanity, but getting to take an interest in what is a human being, what is this limitation, are you really just a human being, are you really just a physical body, are you really just a man or a woman, are you really just this limited form that is sitting here in the sala, or is there more to it than that? And mindfulness then is Mindfulness is, uh, is what we <laughs> mindful. <laughs> mindfulness is what we call the gate or the door to the deathless. So when I chanted in the beginning, Namutasa Bhagavato three times, then I chanted this, Aparuta Desang Amatasa Kaura Yesodawantabha Muntan Kusatan. This is in the Pali language, it's a statement the Buddha made after his enlightenment. The gate to the deathless 
are open. You can trust in this. For those that can hear this or understand this, those who, who have this faith and this interest in mindfulness, trust it. Trust in awareness, trust in mindfulness. And so most of our teaching is about learning to encourage people to trust awareness. Because when you think about yourself as a person, as a personality, as a physical body, as a man or a woman, as, as a Canadian or a Thai or whatever nationality, that always binds you to some form of suffering. Those are limited identities, those are acquired identities. That, that's not what one really is, is a limited physical mortal form that, that we tend to believe is all that we are. So what is the ultimate reality then? The reality of this moment is that everyone here is experiencing consciousness. Consciousness is unitive, it's not personal. So the deathless is really, and Dhamma, ultimate reality, the reality of this moment is consciousness, which everyone is experiencing here and now. And is learning to, to trust this awareness and what arises and ceases in consciousness is uh, your body arises and ceases, you're, you know, you're born, you grow up, you get old and the body dies. That's all in consciousness. Your thoughts, your emotions, your memories, all the egotism, vanity, self-views, self-criticisms, human emotions, uh, love, hate, and like and dislike are all conditions arising and ceasing. What we see, what we hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel, are conditions and are phenomena. They're, they're things that arise and cease, are born and die. But what doesn't arise and cease at this moment, here and now, what isn't born and what doesn't die, is consciousness, and that's the same thing as mindfulness. So, when we say mindfulness is the door or the gate, that's the, the way that a human individual can recognize the mortal state as, a, as an illusion, as a state that comes and goes and changes according to other conditions. But what remains constant trustworthy, stable, and we call deathless, amata dhamma, the deathless reality of here and now is consciousness or awareness. This is, you know, this is, uh, what I'm saying is not to be grasped or believed in, uh, or, to be dis or to disbelieve, but to uh, understand. So observe, you know, what I'm saying, what, the way I'm talking, uh, what I have said so far, how it affects you, you know. What, how my words, my statements, my talk this afternoon affects you. Right now, you be aware of that is the way it is. Whether you understand, whether you agree, disagree, don't know, 
Each one of you is aware of what you're, you're feeling or what you're experiencing at this moment. And that awareness is not the feeling. The feeling changes your mood, your, uh, whether it's uh, you have faith or you have doubts or belief or disbelief. That changes, that horizon ceases. But what doesn't arise and cease is this conscious awareness presence here and now. So today I'm completely 85 years old. <laughs> and in terms of human perception, that's very old. <laughs> So even, even I, my conditioned personality being 85 is old. But consciousness is not old. You know, this, so, you know, you, everybody says, you know, people try to be kind and not say you're old. Because that's politically incorrect. <laughs> to point to the fact that your body's 85 years old, you're an old man. Is, um, is impolite according to our society. But in terms of Dhamma, that's the way it is. Bodies, that's what they do. They just get older and older, as you're all very much aware of. They don't get younger. So in England, I remember having birthday celebrations and people say, you're only 80 years young or something. <laughs> Uh, well, that's, that's not how, what I like to hear, you know. I quite like getting old because when you meditate, when you practice the Dhamma, then the, the aging process, as it's, you know, you begin, you see the pointlessness of attachment, of the passions you had when you're young, of the views, the opinions uh, that you you held on to when you're younger. You see the pointlessness and and the ridiculousness of, of holding on to them in your, as you grow older, because they don't create peace. They don't lead towards peacefulness and calm, but towards worry, anxiety, regret, remorse, and unpleasant emotions that are the result of inappropriate actions of the past, memories of the past, or worries about the future. One of the <coughs> big fears that human beings have is the fear of death. They, people don't, you know, at this time, we don't know what, what it's like to die. We're all alive. And death is what we haven't experienced yet. You know, it's, it's in the future. We all know that we're going to die. But we don't like to be reminded of it. You know, people have this kind of hoping to live a long lifetime and or eventually they'll conquer death. That human, modern science will conquer death and will, will not have to die ever. And just think the, pro the problems that would create if, if none of us died. And talk about pollution and climate change. And this is, uh, you know, death is is the natural end of a condition, whether it's a mental condition, an emotion, a memory, you know, all conditions, all conditions, all phenomena 
are impermanent. That means they are born, they arise and they cease. Being born and die, arising and ceasing are the same thing. So Lung Kho Chao would always emphasize, he always say, die on die, die before you die. And so this was like through mindfulness, through investigation, you see the ego arising, the, the uh, emotional habits that you've acquired in your life come and go, and you let them go. You let them die. They cease. And what remains when you let everything go? When you let everything go, you're no longer attached to conditions, to phenomena, is peace. So peace is the natural quality of consciousness. And somebody the other day was asking about peace and tranquility because we want we want peace of mind. We want to feel safe and stable. So we 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 kind of hypnotize ourselves by trying to tranquilize, by forcing the mind to be quiet towards a peaceful object externally. But that kind of peace or tranquility is impermanent because it's still conditioned, it's still phenomena. It's a phenomenon where consciousness, pure consciousness, Consciousness that without attachment to conditions is naturally peaceful. It's not created peacefulness. It's not dependent on conditions. And so this is why it, and we encourage you to recognize it, the potential that we all have. Those of you who have an interest in the teachings of the Buddha, those who, who have an interest in mindfulness or in meditation, uh, this is to be encouraged because this is a direction that will create take the, the conditions for insight to arise so you can understand in a direct way yourself. So I want to thank the Sangha, Ajavir Dhammo and all the Sangha present here and all the lay people that have made this occasion so pleasant, so inspiring for all of us. My Thank you.